Amen. Thanks, Will. I hope that you guys will join us in the things that are coming up. Do you know that there are a number of things in life that have expiration dates that are stated? So a number of things that are stated. Your gift card, right? It's got an expiration date. Have you ever tried to use a gift card after the expiration date? Did you just tell the clerk, like, I'm just dumb. I didn't see that, and I got in. But that has an expiration date. A gallon of milk has an expiration date, right? And if you're drinking organic milk, it's got, like, an expiration date 17 weeks out, which is incredible. Uh, your driver's license has an expiration date. I did a wedding for a guy Friday afternoon, and when he went to the license uh, to get his marriage license taken care of, which he waited till the day of, whatever, um, he realized that his uh, driver's license had expired two weeks prior, had to run home before he could get married, get his uh, passport so he could legally be married. Uh, the lease on your apartment has an expiration date, and you can know what these kinds of expiration dates are. They are clearly stated either in contracts or you can look at the side of the jug of milk to know what the expiration date is for the milk. But did you know that though many other things don't have stated expiration dates, that most things otherwise in life do have an expiration date? Your job actually has an expiration date. Do you know that? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm resigning tomorrow. I, I, not only does it have one pastor, I know when it is. It's tomorrow. Uh, do you know that uh, a number of you are in dating relationships right now? I know that you came in this morning with a lot of high hopes. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. Some of them will go the distance, but most of them have the expiration dates. If you're the parent of a small child, it may seem impossible, but the amount of time that that child will live under your roof has an expiration date. And as a father of four, I encourage you to start having those conversations now. In fact, I would go so far as to make your three-year-old sign a contract. Okay, we've got attorneys in the church that can make sure that it's like in the court of law, like it is upheld and whatever date that is, their 18th birthday, 21st, 30th, or whatever the case may be, we can make sure that they hold up their end of the bargain. You know, I was trying to fetch the actual statistic for how many startups fell in the first five years and I found a wide variety of statistics, but anywhere from 50 to 90% of startups are going to have their expiration dates within the first 60 months. Anybody encouraged today? Anybody at all. Um, but do you know that even sort of enterprise businesses, they have expiration dates too? Uh, do, you, do you know that even companies like Gap, Wells Fargo, and Apple aren't going to be around forever? True story. <laughs> True story. I mean, Apple got, kind of got resurrected, didn't it? I mean, it, if you know a little bit of the history, it was on its way out. But they're not going to last forever. Crazy enough, Epic Church will have an expiration date too. Uh, hopefully it's not this week because my kids need to eat. But there's going to be a day in history in the future, actually, that, that Epic Church will no longer exist as a church. Your earthly life is going to cease to exist one day. It's got an expiration date on it. And most things in our lives and most things in the entire world have expiration dates, whether they're clearly stated or they're unknown to us at this time. They're going to expire at some point in time. But friends, what if we could be a part of a movement that has no expiration date? That the movement was so um, committed to moving forward regardless of the obstacles it faces, regardless of the danger it would find itself in, regardless of the groups of people down through the ages who would be hell-bent on trying to make the movement extinct? What if you could be part of a movement that was going to go forward regardless of what came against it? Wouldn't it be worth giving your life to that kind of movement? Jesus was talking to his disciples one day and he said specifically these words to Peter. He said, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So before we get into Acts, where we're going to be this morning, you can see that Jesus is kind of setting this foundation for us to have great confidence. He says he's committed to building his church, and nothing, including the gates of hell, will stop him from building his church. Now, he wasn't speaking of a local church. He was speaking of the church universal, or what he called in other places the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. But here's the question. It made sense while Jesus was alive that he could keep the movement going forward, right? You guys know this. If someone's going to lead a movement, it's amazing that they can perhaps do it while they're still alive. But how was Jesus going to lead the movement forward after he was no longer on earth? How was he going to be able to ensure that the movement would continue to have legs and move into the future? How was he going to do that so much so that we would be talking about him in a basement in downtown San Francisco a couple thousand years later. Well, as we get into this unstoppable series and begin to look at how the unstoppable movement of Jesus gets going, the book of Acts is going to be our guide. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. If you need a copy of the Bible, we'd love to hand you one this morning. Just keep your hands up. We'll get one to you. Acts chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. And we're going to be in this book of Acts for the entirety of the Unstoppable series to really see what happened after Easter. What happened after Easter? How did things go forward? How did things continue to move ahead in spite of Jesus exiting earth? And as you're turning there, let me tell you four ways I want to frame this series for us that I think will be really important in terms of how we understand throughout the series, what God wants to say to us. The first lens I want us to look through is a historical lens. Historical lens, just looking at what actually happened. The second lens is a theological lens. Theology just means the study of God. So a theological lens, what do we learn about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? The third lens is a missional lens. How does this thing spread and expand? And the fourth lens is just a vision lens. What does it mean for my life? What does it mean for your life? And what does it mean for us as Epic Church? So if you'll stand with me, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Let's see how this unstoppable movement begins and how it gains its legs, so much so that we would be sitting here talking about it a couple thousand years later. Here's what Acts 1, 1 says. We'll read through verse 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they, that's the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You may be seated. May God teach us some things in this series, and even this morning as we get introduced to how this unstoppable movement begins. Luke is the author of Acts, and it's 
The second book that he wrote that are in our Bible, that's in our Bibles. Does anybody know what the first book Luke wrote in our Bibles? Anybody? Luke, awesome. I know you guys don't need any, like, you know, challenging questions. So I'm going I'm to keep it real basic for you. Yeah, so he, this is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, at least what we call the Gospel of Luke. He addresses this book, as you see in verse 1, to Theophilus. It's real interesting, but it's hard to find any history, any identity around who this Theophilus guy was. If you even were to look in a number of commentaries, as I did, you'll see like there's, they're not really sure who this guy was. But they are sure that Luke addressed him in the Gospel of Luke to begin the book. He wrote it to him. He addressed him in the book of Acts. And what he says to Theophilus is, hey, in, in, in the first book, which was we know as the Gospel of Luke, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do and what Jesus began to teach. But in Acts, he's writing about how the movement of Jesus continued once Jesus left earth. What the plan was, where the power came from, and where the places were that this movement would extend into. And that's what he's saying. And he says, here's what you need to know. Jesus suffered. He came back to life. It says he presented himself alive. That would be fun to do once you're dead, wouldn't it? Some great pranks you could play just on people. So Jesus presented himself alive for about 40 days. And during these 40 days, he taught a lot about the kingdom of God. He spent time with his disciples. And can you imagine how much joy would have been in the hearts of the disciples over these six weeks? Can you imagine you had lost everything on Good Friday? Jesus rises from the dead and he spends six weeks or so of many of those days with you. There's a lot of joy in their hearts again. Their fears are relieved. Their hope is restored and they're spending time with Jesus. But there's going to be a day in which Jesus leaves again. If you just kept reading uh, through, first, through chapter one, you would see that Jesus ascends back to heaven. So the question is, Jesus, it makes sense for you to lead a movement when you're here on earth. But how does the movement continue once you exit earth? And you see in the text that he's entrusting the movement to who? To the disciples. Now, we all know basic principles of leadership, right? Everyone knows how delegation works or how it should work? You're like, Ben, I don't know how it works. I just know that everyone delegates to me. Well, basic leadership principles are, right, delegation is a huge one, especially if you're going to leave a movement in charge of someone else, and if you're going to have the confidence that the movement will outlive anything that comes against it. I mean, that's saying a lot, is it not? If you're going to hand big chunks of leadership responsibility to an individual or to a group of people, you hope that they have proven themselves previously, yes? Does it work like this in your culture? This is how it works with an epic church. I'm not going to hand a massive piece of leadership to someone that has proven themselves not whatsoever. It's crazy. But Jesus seems to do exactly that. He hands leadership responsibility of the movement that he's promised will never go out to these guys that he really couldn't trust during the three years he spent with them. Right? The guys that thought the kingdom would be about power and, and domineering and, and, and about who was first. And Jesus is like, no, this is about being last. This is about a servant-hearted mission, not one where you dominate over other people, where you serve under them and lift other people up. So they don't have a clue. They're uneducated men, so they don't, they don't have the degree, and they really don't have any amazing experience. And Jesus is like, here. I get nervous when I delegate to people who are really gifted. Anybody else? Why isn't Jesus nervous when he entrusts the future of the spread of Christianity to these guys? 
And here's a 21st century question along the same lines. Why is Jesus not nervous about trusting you and me to lead the movement forward now? Look at verses 4. Look at verse 4. We'll start there. Luke records that when Jesus talked to the disciples, he told them, he ordered them actually, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Why would he entrust the movement forward with them? Here's why he would entrust it to them and to us. Because they wouldn't be left alone. So when he says to the disciples, stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke records Jesus saying this also to the disciples. Hey, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So listen to that again. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. In verse 4 of Acts 1, he says, do not depart Jerusalem. Stay here, guys. Don't move until the promise of the Father comes. And the promise of the Father and the power from on high is the Holy Spirit. So now do you understand why Jesus wasn't nervous to say to the disciples 2,000 years ago and to say to us in downtown San Francisco in 2016, hey, I want you to lead the movement forward. Why was he not nervous? Because he had figured out a way to stay with his disciples. He had figured out a way to stay with us through the presence and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in just, in just a moment. But this is what Jesus is doing. That is his plan. He's going to stay present with his disciples. He's going to stay present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he thought the disciples had what it took, or if he thought we had what it takes, he would not have told them, do not leave Jerusalem until you go. Because if you guys go, you're on your own. Some of us want to be spiritual enough, smart enough, gifted enough to lead the movement of Jesus forward on our own. And he just wants to tell us through this passage in Acts, you don't have what it takes. But you don't have to have what it takes, he's saying, because I do and I am coming to live in you and to do work through you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is, that's what he's getting at. Now, for all of us, if we're going to be a part of the unstoppable movement of Jesus... We must get clear on what is his part and what is our part. If you're new to Epic Church, we talk about this all the time. It's something we felt like God has led us into over the last five years to get crystal clear on what is he doing in our situation, in our church, in our world, in our lives, in our relationships, and what is our part. And one of the things you need to understand, have you ever worked um, with a, a group or a team of other people and there are clear territorial lines and people are always coming into your space? Anybody? I've got friends in the room that I have these conversations with. And I'm like, hey, you can come into my space as long as I get paid for it. You just come and do whatever you want to do. But we know it doesn't work like that. One of the things we need to know if we're going to be a part of the movement that Jesus is inviting us into, we need to know what is he doing in the movement and what are we doing. And if we get those things crisscrossed, we're in really big trouble. So what is Jesus doing? What is his part? Well, his part is power. It's not up to your power thankfully. His part is to bring the authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So it's his authority. His part is the building. Do you remember what he said to Peter? He didn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. What did Jesus say? It's one letter. I am going to build my church. So he's the builder of the church. He's the one leading and directing the movement. Are we clear on what his part is? And friends, we should be humbled at the privilege it is to get to be a part of what he's doing. 
There are times for me and you where we feel like our Christian faith is a long list of I have to. Anybody? I have to. I have to. I have to. We need to throw that out this morning and adopt some new language, which is I get to. Can you believe that you're going to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world and throughout history? Sometimes I'm like, oh, gosh, I have to. God, why can't I have just been a regular Christian? I mean, come on, this pastor thing. These people wear me out. Why do I have to do this? But, you know, pastor or no pastor, the fact that you're a Christian, like, oh, so much to do. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to serve in the church because they just keep hitting me up. I've got to give my money, right? I mean, all this stuff, friends, we don't have to. We get to the fact that Jesus would have a movement that's going to never expire and say, hey, you can play a part in it. To say that these guys in first century Jerusalem, you guys can actually have a significant part in it. And to say to you today, you can have a part in it. And what we need to do is get laser focused in on being content, whatever our part is. Friends, if it's public, go for it. If it's in private and no one ever sees, even better. If it's on a major platform like this stage, awesome. If it's in a corner where no one sees, whatever. If it's raising kids or it's sharing your faith as a businessman or woman or it's being a great college student who bears witness to what God does in your life to fellow students, then do that. But you are invited to be a part. Are are you part of it? Are you part of what Jesus is doing? Or... Are you, like I've done so much of my life, giving all of your time and energy to things that are going to expire? It's worth contemplating, even if you don't yet agree. And so Jesus is saying, I'm I'm going to be with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And with this unstoppable movement, if you look throughout world history and especially like church history, what you will see is that there are times where the church is exploding certain places around the world and other places times where it seems like the church is barely a flickering light at places in the world. Do you know this? If you look over the last, like, say, 200 years ago, the church exploded in Europe. Anybody know this? Like, the church went crazy, so much so um, that lives were changed, communities transformed, and they built massive church buildings. Has anybody been to a massive church building in Europe? Anybody? Just raise your hands high. Like, Awesome. And so the church was exploding so much so that multiple services throughout the week, and at times people still couldn't get into those really big buildings. But if you and I were in certain places in Europe this morning, we would be in a massive building, but there'd be 20 of us in the room. But there's still a light there. It's unstoppable movement, even if it's not thriving like it was at one time. There was a day in which people never would have thought that Christianity would have spread whatsoever in the country of China. But do you know what's happening right now with the spread of Christianity in China? I read in studying for this message that by 2030, there will be more Christians in China than there will be in the U.S. But Ben, I haven't seen the big churches. I've visited there for business. So much of it's happening underground. But this is a movement that Jesus was committed to building. So whatever it looks like or doesn't look like, the thing is moving forward. When we began to believe that God was calling us to start this church in San Francisco, Direct quote from someone who had known the history of San Francisco said, hey, you just need to know that San Francisco for the last 35 years, is what they told me at the time, has been the graveyard for church planting. And so we came here. No guarantee that we'd be in a gathering space like this. No guarantee that would be more than just the families that moved here. No guarantee at all. But Jesus is committed to doing his thing. And so we come in confidence under that foundation, not under, oh, am I good enough? Are we creative enough? Can we get enough people to come and be a part of this little thing in San Francisco? It's like, no, we're a part of it. Whatever it looks like or doesn't look like, Jesus, we want to be a part of what you're doing. 
I'm tired of giving my life to things that expire. I want to give my life to something that's going to last forever. Something good to contemplate. And then in verse 6, they say to Jesus, um, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're saying, you have to understand the disciples... Uh, kind of frame of mine, they thought this was the Messiah was for Israel, period. But what you're going to see throughout Acts is that they learn that the Messiah came for Israel, comma, and the rest of the world. Anybody grateful for that that's not from Israel? Yeah, me too. That's what they're going to learn. So they ask Jesus a question about their current locale, their current place where they are. They believe that it's something just for where they are and for the nation of Israel. Look at what Jesus' response is in verse 7. Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know how we play the whole our part, your part deal? Jesus tells the disciples, It's not your part to know when we're going to restore Israel. But then verse 8, he gives them their part. As we go throughout the series, you need to know about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that it is not just the theme verse for today's message, it's the theme verse for all of Acts. In chapter 1, verse 8, you see the plan, you see where the power is going to come from, and you see the places this movement's going to go. So here's what he said You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. What does it mean to be his witnesses? It means you tell what Jesus has done in history and what Jesus has done in you. Don't, we, we try to complicate this thing, don't we? Can we, do we know that? What Jesus has done, right? Cross, death, burial, resurrection. Do you know what he's done in you? That makes you a witness. That makes you a witness. And he says, you will be my witnesses. And he says, in Jerusalem, that's the city that they live in. And then it goes out from there into Judea. That's the region that they live in. And then it goes over to Samaria, which is a region that's close physically, but it's very distant from Judea culturally. Does that make sense? Right? The tenderloin's very close to us proximity-wise, physically. Does that make sense? Very different culturally. Yes? That's what's going on. Judea, Samaria. They're close but very, very different. And then he says, to the end of the earth. One commentator says that you can use verse 8 and outline the entire book of Acts. That it's happening in Jerusalem in chapters 1 through 7, chapters 8 through 12, Judea and Samaria. Chapter 13 through 28, it begins to spread throughout the globe. That's the, that's the whole idea. So you're like, hey, so what's the theme verse of Acts, the entire book? 1 8. 1 8. Here's the plan, guys. I'm going to give you power through my Holy Spirit. Now, we've got to ask, anybody nervous about the Holy Spirit? Anybody? I mean, we're cool with God the Father. We're cool with the Son. Like, we get the sacrifice. But is the Holy Spirit, is it a, a thing? Is it a he? Is he a he? It, what is it? If you've had any church background at all, you've been in perhaps churches where they gave way too much attention to the Holy Spirit? Hey, Ben, how's that possible? I'll explain in a minute. And other places have been like, oh, we're so nervous. We give no attention. So like, Ben, okay, unlock this for us. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is how God dwells in Christians. Do you remember when Jesus made the promise, behold, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age? Do you know how he has upheld his promise? Through the Holy Spirit. Do you know where power comes in and through our lives? The do you know what God has sent to convict us of sin? The Holy Spirit. Everybody, this should be easy if you're testing. Do you know who the comforter is in our hearts when we're mourning and suffering? The Holy Spirit. Do you know who leads and guides us? How God does that? He does it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's divine residence in us. 
Don't let it freak you out. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit does things that lift up the Son and accomplish the will for which the Father sent the Holy Spirit. Who does the Holy Spirit live in? That's a good question. The Holy Spirit lives inside every Christian who has repented of their sin and asked Jesus to forgive their sin and place their faith in him for that. So is the Holy Spirit alive in you? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? And a couple of things that could be struggled at the time. It, it, there are times in our lives where we feel like we're trying to do the right thing, even in God's eyes, and we just absolutely can't. It could be because the Holy Spirit's not in us. Can you imagine if the disciples ignored Jesus' command to stay in Jerusalem until they had power, and they tried to go and spread the movement on their own? As you think about that, the same thing happens to us when we try to do it in our own strength and in our own natural power. That's not the design. The reason God uh, or Jesus wasn't nervous to entrust the movement to the disciples and to entrust it to us in 2016 is because his plan is for the Holy Spirit to do his thing in and through us. Not that he's going, Ben, you are so amazing. Epic Church, you, I mean, you guys have more PhDs than any church in America. You are going to carry it forward. God wants to use you. So Jesus' part is a power and it's authority and it's, he's the builder and he's the leader of the movement. He's directing the movement. Here's what our part is in the movement. Our part is obedience. Is that anybody else's favorite word besides mine? Yeah, me neither. What does that mean, Ben? It means do whatever he asks you to do. Do you remember when Jesus turned the water into wine? Um, he wasn't, he said that his time hadn't come, but it's a difference when your mom asks you to do it, right? Right? I mean, he's like, woman, my time has not come. I don't know if you use that title for your mom, but he does with his. And he's like, I'm not ready to do this, but it's, you know, you're my mom, so we're going to do this. And do you know what his mom says to the servants? Anybody? Do whatever he tells you to do. What if we lived with that? What if obedience wasn't a bad word for us, but we realized it was our part in the movement? So obedience is our part. Faith is our part, meaning we trust Jesus to do what he's promised to do. We don't have to do it. We trust him to do it through us, what he's promised to do. And then it says in the scripture again that our part is to be a witness, to tell what Jesus has done in history and to tell what Jesus has done in me and to tell what Jesus has done in you. And as you look through the book of Acts, and we're going to do this over the coming weeks, you're going to see some amazing things. Thousands of people are going to place their faith in Jesus and all kinds of people. They're going to realize it's not just for Jews, but for Gentiles also. You're going to see prison guards place their faith in Jesus. Entire families are going to place their faith in Jesus and be baptized. The former murderers are going to place their faith in Jesus. Government officials are going to place their faith in Jesus. Numerous local churches are going to get planted from the ground up. Amazing startup thing happening there throughout Asia. That's going to take place. And there's going to be times where church leaders, you'll see in Acts, are going to be persecuted and often even killed for their faith. And certainly that snuffs out the movement, doesn't it? Oh, no, that just adds fuel to the intensity of the movement, so much so that it keeps going forward. Which means this, things in your life might not be like you wish they were, but God can use that exact thing in your life to propel the movement forward however he chooses. But what we have to decide is, are we going to lean in and be a part of what he's doing? Here's what we know for sure. To do what God has called us to do, we will need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God isn't going to call any of us to do things that we can handle on our own. It's like, Ben, how do you know? Because if you can do it on your own, it's not a God thing. Right? I want you to think about the time and energy you're investing in things that have expiration dates. It's a little bit of a depressing exercise, but go for it. Think about all the time and energy. And I'm the same. I mean, we've got opening day baseball tomorrow. Praise the Lord. I'm like, all right, Bochi, what kind of lineup do you need to put? I can, you know, I spend all my time on that. Think about the time you spend your energy and your focus and your time on and how all that's going to expire one day. Like even your amazing company that you're starting, whatever the valuation is in your mind or in reality. It's going to expire one day. But you've been invited to play a part in the movement of Jesus. And as we go forward in these subsequent weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like. What it looked like historically. What we learned theologically about who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What we learned about the missional aspect. How does it expand? And then what does it mean for us? And what does it mean for us as Epic Church? To be a part of the movement that God is creating. And remember, you're not unstoppable, okay? Epic Church, not unstoppable. Ben Pilgrim, not unstoppable. Jesus, unstoppable. And whatever it looks like, whatever it feels like, he is committed to doing his thing. The question isn't, is he going to do his thing? The question is, are you going to lean in and join the movement or stay on the outside of it? And I think what you'll be amazed to find is when you say, I'm in on whatever Jesus, or whatever Jesus wants to do in the movement in my generation, God's going to do some incredible things. I'm going to share with you an email I received yesterday to close our time just to show you what can happen when we say yes to joining the movement that Jesus began and that he's invited us into and that he's committed to going strong forever and ever and ever. So yesterday I got an email from a girl named Sarah. And she let me know that at the end of January, she attended Epic. She was visiting friends from Connecticut. She's from Connecticut. She's visiting friends here. And they brought her to Epic Church. Sometimes playing your part is just as simple as an invite. But then my friends from Connecticut, they're not used to going to church. Oh, no, it's an hour of their life. <laughs> she said, I live in Connecticut, so I'm not able to join the community over at Epic. But since January, I've been following along with the podcast. It's meant so much to me in the past few months. Thanks for making those available and sharing. She said, a lot has changed for me since January when she came to Epic. Well, she's only been one time in her life, may never come back. And my faith has truly become my rock. Your teachings have made a difference and helped me lean into hope and grow that personal faith relationship. In the past, I thought I knew what faith was and considered myself a Christian, but I came to realize I had never actually walked with God. On Easter Sunday, one week ago, I don't know when she listened to it. On Easter Sunday, you asked if we had made that faith decision to stake our hope on the resurrection, and I wanted to write to you and let you know that in my heart, I'm ready to put my hope on it. It really does mean everything. Friends, we did not start this church to reach a young 20-something female in Connecticut. But when you say yes to the movement, when her friends invited her to come, who knew that God could use one hour on a Sunday in January to change her eternal destiny? Her life on the East Coast has been forever changed. Why? Because some people had a calling to San Francisco. 
At the end of our service today, you're going to see a mom and daughter both baptized today because you just never know what God does when you join the movement. I know that you may think your life is exciting on the outside of the movement, but there is nothing. I've been to cool places in the world. I've been to major sporting events. I have amazing family. But there is nothing, nothing at all like being in on what Jesus is doing. Are you in on it? Are you in on it? Time will tell. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you're committed to doing your thing. I thank you that you would use invitations from friends who have friend visiting in, from Connecticut and that you would bring a college grad from Michigan to San Francisco and have a day in April where we could see her and her mother be baptized in a few moments. Jesus, I thank you that it's not up to us to come up with the results. It's just up to us to lean in, to have faith, to obey, to be your witnesses. And Jesus, would you help us understand we do not have to complicate it. Your spirit lives in us. Your spirit leads and guides us. Your spirit provides the power. And may we surrender and submit to you today, Jesus. Whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you want to do in each individual's life, whatever you want to do in the collective life of Epic Church, we are yours, we're leaning in, and we're so thrilled that we've been invited to be a part of your movement in the world. Jesus, I pray that you would sink this truth into our hearts. And whoever in this room isn't aware that you are able to live in them, God, I pray that their faith would begin today in you. And that we would stake our entire future. God, may we not give our time and energy just to things that are going to expire, but may we invest fully in the movement that has no expiration date. Jesus, we are yours and we are in. It's in your name that we offer this prayer. Amen. Would you stand as we just declare again through music what Christ has done?